I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. Local stock darling workforce falls from grace. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Steve Sprovac. Loveland-based electric vehicle maker Workhorse, they're facing some difficult questions after top executives sold $60 million worth of stock before a major contract fell through. Joining me now is Andy Schaefer, regular on Simply Money and a chartered financial consultant at Allworth Financial. Andy, this is big news with a company with some serious local ties there, little company just up the road from us. It's interesting. I was actually out with some friends last night, and my buddy Martin and I were talking about it. And, um, you know, first of all, Workhorse, it's a small electric cargo van maker focused on building and selling de- uh, delivery vehicles like postal trucks. Uh, the company also sells testing drone technology, um, can deliver packages from rooftop- rooftops and those types of things. So um, it's an interesting company. It's, you know, it's here locally in Loveland. And, um, you know, it had a lot of optimism about the future of this company. Sure. And, um, you know, there's just some, some things to unwind and some things to talk about. Yeah. And, and what I liked about uh, workhorses, you know, electric vehicles. I, I mean, that, obviously, that's the trend. That's where this country is heading. Uh, Joe Biden even made a comment in a speech back in January about how he wants the entire federal vehicle fleet to convert to electricity. So there, there's been a lot of attention paid uh, to any company that is is moving towards electric vehicle production, especially the the independents that are gearing towards the, the replacing the federal vehicles. And, you know, it, it sounds great, but then, you know, we're hearing some some stories about workhorse and how things might not be working out as, as good as they hoped. And, and sure enough, Alexander Coolidge and, and the Cincinnati Enquirer They've been doing some fantastic investigative journalism on the work uh, horse story, and and it's a great reminder of you know just watch out for these so-called hot stocks. Yeah. So the gist of this is is that uh, Workhorse was a startup company, and they tried to uh, bid on a the U.S. Postal Service to supply the U.S. Postal Service with a lot of their trucks. A lot of post office trucks out there right. on the streets. And yeah, so big deal. you know, the, so the stock price rose significantly. Um, you know. Uh, the general public started getting wind of this particular company and that this this potential contract was on the horizon. And, um, you know, the Postal Service came back to them and said, well, you know, there's some things that we're not sure about. And particularly, do you have the capacity, since you're a startup company, to basically fulfill the, the requirements that we need and to be able to produce uh, the amount of trucks and the amount of services that we're going to is going to be necessary for us to be um, efficient and operable. So, you know, that's the overall gist of what, what happened with the stock price. Yeah, and, and we're talking a monster contract. I, I, I mean, this was estimated to be a $6 billion contract. I, I mean, there's there's 165,000 post office uh, uh, mail vehicles that are retiring um, o- over the next couple of years. So, you know, this is, this is a big deal. They obviously weren't the only company that were uh, putting bids in. There were um, uh, five companies, including Workhorse. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about what happened. You know, we're going back to September where there seems to have been some signs that, okay, maybe they might not be the company that was going to get the successful bid. Yeah, so the U.S. Postal Service came back to them and said, okay, here are some of our questions, here are some of our concerns, and reached out to the top brass at Workhorse and said, you know, we need these to be addressed. And shortly after that, uh, you saw a lot of the executives start to sell their equity ownership in the company. Just a coincidence. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. this isn't uncommon. So, you know, when when you are a leader in any business and you have an equity stake in your business, it's very tricky to sell your securities because, number one, if you're a public company, 
um, it's going to look like maybe you don't think the company is going to perform very well in the future. Um, and on the second and, and the second part, you have access to potentially some inside information. Um, you know, if you're potentially doing a deal with another firm, you cannot act on that information if it's not public knowledge at that right, point. Right. So what a lot of company insiders do and people that have equity in a company is they in, uh, implement what they call a 10B5-1 plan. And what that is, it's basically a systematic approach to be able to sell your securities so it doesn't appear that you're just going to sell when you get insider information. So, for instance, if I go to my financial advisor and I have equity stake in in um, company A, uh, I could say, hey, I want to sell a certain amount every three months for the next couple years so that there's right. a systematic approach, which pro- prohibits me from acting on insider information. That's what these executives are saying is that, hey, we sold these at a high price, but we did it with a 10B5-1 plan, which was systematic. Hey, and and the investigative reporting that was being done by the Cincinnati Inquirer goes into some de- detail on, on that. I, I mean, just to back up a little bit, the SEC, yeah, they're, they're trying to watch insiders that may be trading on information that is, is non-public. So they require forms to be filed so that, okay, we're aware that shares are sold. Let's see if any news happened around that period of time. To, to see if we need to open up an investigation on whether or not some insider trading may have occurred. And we're not saying that did or didn't happen here. I, I mean, there's a lot of legitimate reasons where, you know, an executive, especially in a startup company, maybe they want to buy a second house or a more expensive house and they happen to sell shares that, you know, when news is coming out not too far down the road that may go their yeah, way or may okay go against do. them. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's just a, more of a question of, are the documents being filed, and, and was anything untoward happening? I, I think this the interesting part of these filings is that that form, the, the 10B, whatever it's called, <laughs> that, that that form has very little disclosure. I, I mean, it's kind of like saying, I want to sell my, um, I don't know, IBM stock at a certain price if and when the stock hits there. And, and you know, that's very common in our industry. But in, in insider trading, you can go ahead and edit those orders and, and you know, maybe change the timing to be more or less advantageous. Um, and, and that's, I think, where the questions are on, on what was going on here. Why did executives sell when they sold? And, and you know, there, there, there are investor uh, lawsuits that have stemmed from the ultimate fall in stock price. Yeah, the, the problem with the, with the 10B5-1 plan is that um, there's no really regulation on it. So I could say, well, I want to uh, implement a 10B5-1 plan, but I want to also sell my shares today. Right. So right. there's there's very little restriction and there's very little disclosure that's required for them to show their books. Now, there is an investigation going on at this point. Um, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. But just because you have a 10B5-1 plan, that doesn't restrict you from following the law. And it right. is very tricky uh, when we get into these types of insider deals and things like that. Um, but I do wish this company well. You know, they're still operable. A lot of the um, the leadership that, um, you know, got the windfall from the sales of these positions are no longer with that company. Oh, um, major shakeup. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I wish this company well. I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but there are some investigations going on right now, and there's definitely tensions with a lot of investors that weren't able to pull the trigger as quickly as they did because they didn't have the information that they also had. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, and we're talking about Loveland-based Workhorse, which, uh, according to the Cincinnati Inquirer, is uh, – uh, looking, the, the SEC is doing an investigation, and, and they're looking at 
some of uh, some of the issues going on with the, the stock price of, of the company. In, in part, you know, and you see this with startups anytime, Andy. Um, you saw a major run-up in, in the stock price. I mean, th- this thing, uh, when uh, President Biden announced that, we're, uh, that the country is going to start moving towards electric vehicles in, in uh, the federal vehicle fleets, um, this stock jumped 30%. It actually broke $42 uh, a share back in February of just this year. Well, when they didn't get the post office contract, um, we saw the stock take a, a pretty big nosedive. It's trading around yeah, $7 a Yeah, that was like a, a billion-dollar contract. Oh, I mean, yeah. it was a big deal. This yeah. was a, a contract that could potentially set them up for the rest of the, their, their immediate future. And when that thing fell through um, and you come to find out that, you know, a lot of the leadership had already sold their stocks, you know, that's going to make a lot of investors, you know, a little bit uneasy and, and angry yeah. to some degree. And, and right now, you know, basically what the investors are saying is that, you know, they're saying it's, it could be an, an elaborate stock scam to pump up a share price. So that insiders could cash out, cash in and cash out, and uh, that's basically what their suit is saying. Yeah, and and again, their words in in their lawsuit filed in the state of California, not not, not ours. ours, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they're uh, well. You're not going to have happy investors when a stock goes from forty two to seven. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line. I, I think the other issue that we're looking at with this particular company, Andy, is they are getting orders. I, I mean, you know, they're, again, they're a startup, and and they are producing electric vehicles. They've actually got a backlog of orders. For eight thousand vehicles, that's that's pretty substantial for a small company. But they haven't built eight thousand vehicles. No, they're yet. they're having a tough time making vehicles yeah. right now. And as of June thirtieth, they've only produced about one hundred and thirty three vehicles, you know, uh, for the year. When... Of which, of which, forty one have been recalled. <laughs> right. I, I mean, they they are having they they're having production problems. We saw this with Tesla. You see this with a lot of new vehicle manufacturers that are starting up. But um, that's not a good. You know, sign. in their defense, um, you know, I. You know, most major car manufacturers are having trouble producing cars anyway. And, you know, with the supply chain, you're being disrupted, you know. But they were trying to, to churn out about 1,800 cargo vans. You know, and even back in 2020, they planned on making and delivering 300 to 400 all-electric vans and only produced and sold 14. So, you know, they got a lot of work ahead of them. And, um, you know, I'll be curious to see how this plays out. But, you know, great job by the Cincinnati Inquirer with the investigative work. I, I enjoyed reading the article. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see how this all plays out. Yeah, and you know when when you have the tremendous amount of insider selling that occurred in this this company, um, yeah, it's going to be looked at. I, I, the number a year ago, they insiders, uh, company officers, board members, they owned about eight point one percent of uh, the stock in the company, and on February fifteenth, twenty twenty one. They only own 3.5%, according to uh, Workhorse's annual report. So, you know, there, there was a lot of selling uh, that, that occurred right about the time that they didn't get the, the big post office contract. So, you know, obviously these, these are things that I think we're going to hear more about, and, and the SEC is running and what, what they're calling an unspecified investigation into the, into the company, along with uh, several shareholder uh, lawsuits that are, are occurring. Be real interesting to see how this plays out in, in uh, one of our local com- uh, companies. Simply money lessons, I, I, I think, out of this, Andy. Beware of FOMO or fear of missing out. I, I mean, anytime you've got what you think is a hot stock, don't necessarily jump on it just because you're afraid you're going to miss out. Yeah, you want to make sure that you do your research, talk with your financial planner, and make sure that you know when exciting technology comes into play, 
you know, understand what the capacity is, understand what its business model is before you just jump on a hot stock because it's rising, um, you know, super fast. And and diversify. I, I mean, we're not big uh, proponents of individual stocks because you can have one stinker drag down the whole portfolio, but uh, diversify both within the stock market as well as outside of stocks. Here's a Simply Money point. Whether or not it's insider trading, one thing is certain – Workhorse executives made millions trading stock while day traders lost. Robinhood, heading to your kid's college campus to sell them on a financial opportunity, and that's what they're going to tell them. They may not fully understand. Where have we seen this before? Steve, I can tell you exactly where we've seen this before. I went to the University of Kentucky, got there. I'm going to date myself right now. 1995, the first two weeks of school, probably the first two weeks of class, it looked like a festival on campus. Everywhere you looked, tents, balloons, like balloon arches everywhere, all set up by credit card companies who were offering Frisbees, water bottles, T-shirts. All you had to do was sign up for a credit card. So easy. Why wouldn't you want a credit card, right? You're in college. (laughs) You're you're making good financial decisions. Free T-shirts. Come on. This this makes perfect sense. I can tell you (laughs) a lot of people signed up for those credit cards. A lot of people spent money they couldn't handle. It wasn't until 2009, right, that the federal government stepped in and said, you know what, you cannot be pushing credit cards on some of these kids are 17, 18 years old. They don't understand credit, debt, how these things work. Uh, you have to be 21 in order to sell or to, to push a credit card on someone. And so now if you have someone who's under the age of 21, there has to be a co-signer, uh, you know, in yeah. order to get a credit card, which I think makes a lot of sense. Now we've got Robinhood coming along, um, which is this this app that you can use to make trades, to get interested in investing. And they are now touring college campuses. And, Steve, what could possibly go wrong Well, and, 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 you know, we learned our lesson with the credit cards on college campuses. I, yeah. I, I mean, so, some of the numbers were crazy. You had MBNA, which is now owned by Bank of America. At one point, they were paying seven figures to alumni groups and college campuses to allow them to market to the, na- the, the list of names supplied by those campuses. I, well, I mean, you think seven, seven figures, figures is what they're paying. How much are they making, exactly. right? Exactly. And one of the marketing people was quoted as saying, it's like shooting fish in a barrel when you yeah. when you target college freshmen. So, you know, that's why an act of Congress had to be put forth to go ahead and, and cut this out or at least reduce it drastically. And who would have thought that it's going to be this way on stock trading apps? Parents, if you've never heard of Robin Hood, your kids have. So yeah. be be aware yeah. of this. Robinhood is a very easy to use stock trading app. You can download it to your your telephone, and there are already 21 million active u- uh, users. I'm not saying it's bad, but if you're marketing to 18, 19 year year olds on college campuses, and, and you're giving them literally 15 dollars of cash, that's all it takes. $15 that Robinhood is offering new users so that they can start basically day trading. So you've, you've got this mentality of, hey, this is a new game. No, it's not. It's investing. And, and a lot of these kids don't have any ideas about how you should invest, why you should invest, what a long-term time. Long-term in college is like two weeks. 
Yeah, you know, ne- never it's mind. Like between for now and the thing. party on Friday night, that's yeah. what long term is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I, I think this is going to blow up and and really become a, a big problem because they're gamifying stock trading, which obviously I'm not a big fan of. And and no. you know, you, you've got all of these new users that are young that are spending money that maybe they have, but maybe they don't. And they're doing it in an up market where, oh, everybody's making money. Why wouldn't I want to do this? It's not possibly go I know. I'm afraid there's going to be some very expensive lessons coming very, very soon. So if, you, if you're one of those people who likes to make lists of pros and cons, one of the pros, without a doubt, we would say is it's getting more people interested in investing, right? That's a good thing. Right, and right. investing at a young age where that money has time to grow and to compound, hands down, the best thing that you can do as far as an investor. To your point, Steve, yeah. it is the gamifying. There, are, There's not a, a Roth IRA. We, we, we would say, okay, Robin Hood, can they invest? Can they put their money into a Roth IRA? Oh, no, no IRA. They don't even there. have it. Yeah. No, these are individual stocks buying and trading, selling them, right? This is a great platform for day traders. Make sure you're having these conversations with your kids because I guarantee it's in front of them. And think about this. If someone came to, to your kid, here's an app. These kids, everything that they do is through an app. Here's 15 bucks to do it. What can you possibly lose? Then they start putting their money onto this yeah. app. And, and we have been watching this for a long time. And, and these things can get, it's almost like social media, right? You can make a, a FOMO trade, put everything you have into one company and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. If you have been a long-term investor, all kinds of bells and crystals should be going off in your head, right? Yeah. When people talk about things like that. Thing is, your kids may not have this experience, this expertise. It's, it's one thing if Robin Hood came to campuses and there was an hour-long training session that went along with this or a class that your kids could take that could introduce them to the entire concept. But this is just an app, 15 bucks, jump on in, see how it goes for you. I just am picturing kids like trading at frat parties and <laughs> football games. <laughs> well, you know, they're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It makes me nervous, and, and it should make you nervous, too, if you've got kids this age. Make sure you're having this conversation with them. Here's the Simply Money point. Make sure your college students understand investing is not a game. It is not gambling. You know, the school on your college degree, does it matter? It depends. Here's the latest salary data for graduates from our local universities. This is, Steve, honestly, this is where I think parents and kids need to start when they're making decisions no like question. this. No question. And obviously, you know, we were looking at some of these numbers um, with some of our producers earlier today. It depends on what your major is, right, where you're going to land and all of this. Mm-hmm. But this is all of the students graduating from local universities, how much you can expect to make the first year out and mid-career. Uh, and if you're looking to make the big bucks, well, you better head to Miami. Uh, they topped the list at 118000 for mid-career pay. Um, these kind of range anywhere from about 90000 up to that up to that $118,000 range. You, you know what I like about this study, Amy, is it not only has first year out what an average salary is, but mid-career, and, and that's yeah. defined as median salary for bachelor's degree holders with 10, 10 years of experience in, in the workplace. So, you know, I, it's... I think parents are finally starting to realize that just because a college costs crazy amounts of money 
doesn't guarantee the highest paying job. I, I saw that with, with both my boys. I, I, I mean, they, I, I was shocked at how much college costs, first of all, when you get there. <laughs> if you've got young kids, start saving now because it gets crazy. But, you know, you can get a pretty darn good education at some schools that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And not only good education, but a good job and a good career after that. University of Cincinnati is one, one good local example. Um, graduates from UC are doing, doing just fine. Yeah. Well, okay. So you see, right? Starting salary fifty eight thousand. Mid career about a hundred and one thousand. Xavier starting salary fifty six thousand. Ninety eight thousand mid career. NKU fifty four thousand first year out. Uh, and ninety one thousand mid career. You know, when I look at that, I think, okay, just from a cost perspective, Steve, yeah. NKU versus Xavier, and the fact that mid career what a value. Like the difference is about seven thousand dollars compared yeah. to what you pay at the onset, what you would pay in student loans during that time. I'm not saying, you know, one is better than the other, but right. this is great information for parents and kids that are getting ready to enter college to con- to really consider. Yeah, you, you know what I would love to see, and, and I'm sure that there are other studies out there that, that uh, can answer this question, but I, I'd love to see, okay, is this for a philosophy major or is this for an engineering degree? Okay, yes. because there is a difference. So, well, and I think this is everyone together, right? Yeah. Which is why, right, if if you are like a communications major, a journalism major, as I was, you're also being thrown in with kids from the business school who are making, you know, right. probably, you know, could be close to six figure salaries even just graduating. So, big difference there, but but definitely something worth considering when you're looking at schools. Here's a question for you. How much are you expecting from Social Security? Because there are hidden ways that that benefit may be cut. And Steve, nothing makes a person angrier than when we have to tell them, oh, that's what you thought you were getting from yeah. Social Security. Oh, well, you got a public pension. You're a teacher. You, even though you've got both of these that could be coming in you're not going to get 100% of that benefit. Oh, I, I've seen cases where people are getting no Social Security, even though they paid into the system. And, and yeah. that that's the shocker for so many people. Amy, there are two potential reductions in Social Security benefits that a lot of people just don't even, even realize exist. And, and these only affect you if you're drawing some sort of government or state pension. So in other words, if you've been a teacher for 20, 25 years and then go out into the private sector and, and pay into Social Security with that second career, um, it may not pay uh, as much as you expected when it comes time to draw Social Security. What I'm talking about is the windfall elimination program or the WEP, uh, it's usually abbreviated as, and the Government Pension Offset or GPL. So let's talk about these a little bit. So windfall elimination uh, provision um, or program, uh, that's going to hurt somebody. Let's just say you taught for 20 years in the school system and then went on and and did another 20 years in in the private sector. So you've got a nice teacher's pension. And and, also paid into Social Security. And you paid, yeah, for that second second career, paid 20 years into it. Um, Let's just say your your teacher's pension is $3,000 a month and your Social Security benefit after 20 years, maybe that's another 2500 So you're thinking you've got over five grand coming in between the two. Not so fast because the windfall elimination provision, that's going to reduce your Social Security benefit because you didn't pay in the first 20 years in the Social Security. It might be up to $500 less. So it's still a good teacher's pension that you're getting in that example, but Social Security may be cut down as much as $500 a month. 
You know, at Allworth, we do a lot of workshops, right, where we meet with people, you know, crowds of people. We, we present things that you need to understand, and then we take questions. You can always, almost always guarantee that a windfall elimination pr- provision question, that a web question oh, is coming. Always. Because yeah. I think there's so many of you who this impacts, who you know it's out there. You kind of know something exists, but you don't really understand how it will impact you. And nothing makes someone's blood boil more than this isn't fair. I paid yeah. into this issue system. And and here's something to think about, too. In Ohio, we are impacted by this more than anyone else. One of the few states where 100 percent of state and local government employees aren't covered by Social Securities in Kentucky, it's 29 percent of those workers, right? So, so many people are impacted by this. It's important to understand what this is and how it works. We're not saying you won't get any Social Security, but we are saying that it would be in some cases, greatly, you know, drastically yeah. reduced from what you are expecting. Well, let, let's, ta- let's talk about where you might lose all of your Social Security benefit. And this will grab your attention Ooh. because if you were thinking, if you, again, taught 20 years, but let's say you only were in the private sector a few years. If you were thinking you were going to draw a spousal benefit where you get half of your spouse's benefit, not at their expense, but half of their uh, Social Security benefit, the government pension offset only on spousal Social Social Security benefits can be reduced to zero if you've got that large of a government pension. Keep in mind, too, you will be taxed on your Social Security benefit. And this catches a lot of people off guard. If you There's, a, there's a, a formula here, but this is something that you also have to plan for. Here's the Simply Money point. Rethink the guarantees that you think might be coming from Social Security if you are in one of these situations. Dave Hatter is a cybersecurity consultant at Intrust IT, professor at Cincinnati State, mayor of Fort Wright, Kentucky, and frequent guest uh, on our show. You can listen to his Tech Friday spot on the 55KRC morning show at 6.30 a.m. Dave Hatter, Facebook has been uh, in the news last couple days, um, not for all the right reasons. What happened? Well, first off, thanks for having me, Steve. And yeah, Facebook has uh, managed to, to get back in the news again. You know, I think most people at least have a rough idea what Facebook is. It's probably still the single most popular social media site out there, although some challengers like TikTok have made some pretty good inroads over the, the recent years. And this is not, you know, TikTok's first, ro- I'm sorry, Facebook's first rodeo with uh, privacy and security issues. But what happened yesterday is pretty interesting because for anyone that doesn't use TikTok and somehow this news, they had an outage that started just before noon. And they were down for almost six hours, which is really pretty unprecedented for, you know, one of the major tech time. titans like this. Yeah, it really is. And it wasn't just Facebook. I don't you know a lot of people I don't think necessarily realize that Facebook owns several other well-known uh, properties like WhatsApp, which is an instant messaging type of app similar to Signal or Telegraph and Instagram, uh, their Oculus virtual reality thing. Pretty much anything and everything related to Facebook was down. So just from the standpoint of lost revenue on their their point, and I haven't seen anything you know released about this yet, but I'm sure they lost at minimum tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in the six hours of time wow. that they weren't able to collect your data. They weren't able to serve up ads to you and they weren't able to, you know, do all of, across all of these different platforms. So I'm sure it was it was quite a loss there. You know, another thing that's interesting about it is many people have used Facebook as sort of a federated single sign-on service. So to try to get rid of the nerdery in that, 
you go to Facebook, you have a Facebook account, other sites say, hey, use your Facebook account to log in. And this is something that Google and Microsoft and some of the other big players can do as well. Uh, you know, it makes it easy for you as a user. And to some extent, uh, I think you can make a pretty strong case from a cybersecurity perspective that you're actually better off to use single sign-on because then you only have to have one strong password, multi-factor authentication on one account, and then use that account where possible to log into these other sites. But when Facebook is down, then of course that precludes your ability to log into anything else where you're using the, your Facebook credentials. So this so that, trickled out into many other properties yesterday beyond Facebook as well. Well, I, I think for a lot of people that, that are just used to bopping on Facebook every couple of minutes, it was a major impact on them. I, I just find it that the, the coincidence is astounding that right after a, a bombshell whistleblower report comes out, that Facebook is down. I, I mean, are you buying Facebook's answer of what happened or, or do you think it could have been a hack? Well, you know, I, I kind of made this comment yesterday that the longer it's down, the more likely it seems like it was probably hacked. But when you look at their explanation and without getting too deep into the weeds on it, there's something called border gateway protocol and it has to do with how information is exchanged around the internet so that when you type in facebook.com or whatsapp.com or whatever, um, it's able to resolve that to the IP address that eventually sends that traffic there, gets into domain name system. There, there's a bunch of moving parts, but this border gateway protocol is a thing. Uh, other sites have gone down because of mistakes made in the configuration of border gateway protocol. So what the ultimate um, answer from Facebook yesterday was it was a configuration mistake that fouled our border gate protocol routes, and that's what caused this outage. Now, there was also a lot of a lot of interesting stories floating around on the internet yesterday that even inside Facebook, they couldn't access certain rooms and so forth because this affected most all of their systems. You know, it's certainly plausible. Again, this is not, Facebook is not the only company that's had this type of thing happen to them. But I, I sort of agree with you, Steve, it's awfully coincidental that the day before, there's this bombshell report of a whistleblower basically saying, you know, Facebook is doing all this damage to society and that they understand what they're doing, but they don't change their policies and practices and so forth because they're making too much money. And I don't know if you recall, within the last week or so, there was this study that came out, again, based on internal information that, you know, Instagram, again, a Facebook property is causing all these psychological problems, young girls and so forth. So, it, you know, it is awfully coincidental and uh, that this happened like the very next day. Now, it does not appear from anything I've been able to find that, you know, there was any sort of data breach. There's been any evidence of hacking. But I'd also point out, Steve, in many cases, when you have these large scale cyber, when you have a large scale cyber attack, let's say, um, as forensics are done and, and people dig into it deeper, what you ultimately find over time is the initial information that came out is no longer in alignment with what actually happened. So I think it bears watching, but it's certainly unprecedented for someone of Facebook stature to have an outage that long. Oh, it's very, pretty astounding. Yeah, really. at, the very, at the very least, it's, it's incredibly embarrassing for a, a technology platform like that to be down as long as it was. Dave yep. Hatter, as always, great insights. Thanks, thanks for sharing with us. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. Now, if you could do us a favor, send this show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it, too. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.